I love that opening music. Hello, and thank you once again for tuning into this episode of The Drop-In. If you listened to our first show segment with David Newby, you heard a, uh, a lot, a lot. And I'm sure you've all Googled him, checked him out. You know, I'm sure you have. Because he left some little nuggets that make you go, I want to know more. I want to know more about this dude. And I'm sure you do. Before we go any further, make sure to check out his latest book, Beyond Billions, because it is talking about some really historical, I mean, the richest man ever, and some of the philosophies he used to uh, get to his wealth, to get to where he got to, but also some of the mistakes he made, which we all make them. We are all, all... uh, I mean, we we all make mistakes. You know it. I know it. Uh, And to uh, be able to look at ourselves and see those and maybe make some shifts, why not? Why not? Each of us working towards being a better version of ourselves. But I um, want to welcome you once again, David, uh, for being here at the NRM Studios. And you are an author, as we've talked about. And what what in, in, in what was the instigation for you to start writing in the first place? Because not everybody can sit down and write a book. Not everybody. Actually, I think everybody can. And if you need some help with that, drop me a line. I'll tell you how. But not everybody wants to be as, as vulnerable and put things out there. What was the instigation for you to start writing books? I um, it was two things. One, I. I think if you're growing in wisdom and you're seeking next level excellence in how you live your life, then you should, uh, there's a principle Napoleon Hill teaches called accurate thinking mm-hmm. in the book, Think and Grow Rich. And so me wanting to know like, where am I at? What am I starting with? I would take a lot of like personality tests and stuff to figure out how am I wired? How can I make the biggest positive impact on the world? And um, one of the tests I took was a spiritual gifts test. And I took like two of them online. And they both said, like, I already knew I was good at encouragement because there's a, a chapter in First Corinthians talking about spiritual gifts. And one of them was encouragement. I was like, yeah, I think I definitely have the gift of encouragement. But I wasn't sure what other gifts do I have naturally, the way I'm wired. And so I took these tests, and they both said uh, teaching was my number two spiritual gift. So I'm like, okay, great. Like, I'm wired to encourage people and to teach them. Like, when I'm doing that, like, that's the way I can be the most fulfilled. So then I heard a year later after taking those spiritual gifts tests, I went to this marketing seminar and this guy said, if you want to work with the best people and influence top tier people, he's like writing a book is the best way to get in front of top tier people. Because it's like, you got to put yourself out there to write a book. You got to be willing to be ridiculed. Putting a book out there in the arena of ideas and the marketplace to the world, um, it's the ultimate like risk. To, to So you got to really develop um, strong, not necessarily ego, but strong competence to realize, hey, my message is more important than in me serving another person. In my case, um, I, I really, he said, don't wait for someone else to make you, to declare you an expert. He's like, if you want to really influence someone and you want to have the most influence with them, with top tier people, he's like, write a book. Don't wait for someone to give you permission to write a book. So I, that really made sense to me combined with my, my spiritual gifts tests. I'm like, wow, writing a book could be my ultimate way to encourage and teach people next level wisdom which is what I'm all about, seeking wisdom. I mean, that's like my life goal. I think everybody should desire to seek wisdom. It's a way to have the most fulfillment in your life. You don't have to want to talk to a bunch of billionaires. Like, I didn't even desire to speak to a bunch of billionaires. It just sort of happened in my journey of seeking wisdom. 
So whatever your goal is, I would say, um, you know, those are the two things for me that, that prompted me to write a book. And I agree with you. Anybody can write a book. You just need to let go of the fear of, of rejection and judgment. So if you're at a place of good uh, peace with yourself and with the world, mm-hmm. it really enables you to write the most effective book. And that's been a journey of mine. I got more and more open and more and more revealing about my journey um, through my first three books that I published. And now I'm writing a memoir. So I'm like, I, a big shift for me was I wrote a chapter in Beyond Billions about um, some really personal stuff. And then I realized, I'm like, how could I write a memoir? I don't want to out aunts, uncles, right. people in my life. I'm like, this is a book about me. And here's what I really, even my wife, I want to protect my wife. Um, there's a principle, love always protects. You know, it's in 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm like, how do I protect my wife and be really open about my journey so others can benefit from it? And I had a really huge aha, which was you never talk about whatever anybody else does and use their name. You can just say, I experienced this incident. You don't say who with. Mm-hmm. And then you can say, here's my, I'm owning my part of it. Here's what I did. Here's what I could have done better. Here's what I learned from it. And so it was a huge unlock for me. Like I could protect my kids and my wife and still tell my story by just focusing on myself and not using other people's names. So that's how I'm writing my memoir. And it's really cool to like be able to like write something very revealing and then realize this is part of what I'm thinking about. My pain can help someone else avoid uh, that pain or or get out of it the way God helped me get out of it. Mm-hmm. They're repeating unhealthy patterns. Talking about, We were talking about epigenetics earlier. So, yeah, these are the things that inspired me to write a book. Like, to me, it's the ultimate way to teach someone and encourage someone. Well, what's crazy to me is, is my new book, D-I-F-Y, just come out in November. Mm-hmm. And uh, people have said to me, they said, you know, I applaud you for being um, so vulnerable and so open because there's a lot of private stuff in that book. Right. Um, ultimately, it's a, a personal development book that's really easy to digest, and it's stuff that I have done or that I've learned along the path that might mm-hmm. help somebody else. I never looked at writing a book as being vulnerable. When I sat down to write the first one in 2012, mm-hmm. it was a, a motivational tool for teens and young adults, you know, called Voluntary Self-Achievement. And when I sat down to write this book, I didn't think about it as being vulnerable, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I guess it is, you know, uh, it, it, you, you choose your path and what you want to contend with and what you're willing to, to um, deal with in your day-to-day life and writing a book, you are open to ridicule people to tell you this, that, or the other thing. Fortunate for us, our, our books are more on the motivational side of things, so the positives outweigh the negatives. I'm mm-hmm. going to say a hundredfold. Then right. you get that one little negative comment, who are you to talk about this? But there's a hundred above it that say, thank you for talking about this, that, or the other thing. And now your, your latest work, Beyond Billions, we talked about it in the first segment a little bit, um, you know, really digging deep into Solomon. Uh, why? King Solomon. Why? Why? I know it's beyond billions, and I know the answer to this, but for our, our awesome drop-in listeners, why King Solomon and why his principles? Well, what's really cool about wisdom is that it's timeless. Principles are principles. We were talking earlier today. Um, I don't know if I told you this detail. In, in high school, uh, I was an agnostic. So uh, one benefit from moving all around the country and living in Alaska for a summer and the Philippines for a summer was... Um, I'm naturally outgoing, and I moved 47 times growing up. So I just that's it. Only 47. Only 47. (laughs) So um, it was one thing I realized was I learned to build rapport quickly, 
And a lot of times what I would do is just I found if I show genuine interest in people and you're not asking someone a question just so that they can answer and then you can talk. Like a lot of people are waiting for their turn to talk in conversation. So I, I really got developed the skill of deeper listening and making people feel heard. And I would often ask people, like, what are you into? What's your story? And a lot of times when people talk about, um, I would, I'm always interested in people's philosophy. So I'd be like, oh, what do you believe? And a lot of people would be like, oh, I'm Catholic, or I'm Buddhist, or I'm Seventh-day Adventist, or I'm uh, you know Hindu, or whatever they were. And I'd be like, oh, I'm like, oh, that's neat. Like, um, why do you believe that? 99 out of 100 people would tell me, oh, well, that's what my family believes. Right. And I'm like, if there's any God, if there's eternity, if there's anything after we, our physical bodies die, shouldn't you do a little bit of research on that topic? I mean, if you have a soul and it is going to live eternally, like it's worth at least, you know, 10, 20 hours of research. I mean, this is eternity we're talking right. about. So it just made no sense to me. So in searching, searching out wisdom, being an agnostic in high school, I'm like, I'm not going to be a Christian because my mom's a Christian. Well, and like, it's the equivalent of this is the way we've always done it when you hear yes, that, you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I did a lot of research. I studied Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, uh, Judaism, Christianity. And because I'm a math nerd, I studied Zoroasterism because that's a whole numbers-based religion and numerology. I'm like, how cool is it that there's a whole belief system based on just, uh, you know, some people call it sacred math of the universe. Right. So to me, like reading all those texts, I'm like, wow, there's great things to pull from all these texts. Like, how do you know which one to follow? I don't want to pick one and live my whole life following that and then die and found out, you know, I had a losing religious lottery ticket. <laughs> That's how I used to think of it. It's like, how do I know I bought a winning lottery ticket? So it just seemed too random to me. And so over the years, God revealed his goodness to me in a very personal way. Um, but like with Solomon, why Solomon? In that journey of, of seeking wisdom, you know, I, I uh, decided at 16 through a really wild and crazy experience, like for two years, I was Stealing and, and stealing more and more stuff. And uh, like to the point where I was driving my mom's car uh, 125 miles an hour down the freeway as a 16-year-old. You know, fast and furious, cutting in between cars or Grand Theft Auto, whatever visual you want to use. My mom had a Nissan 240 uh, SX sports car, mm-hmm. a black-on-black. I called it Kit because it had the pop-up display on the heads-up display. And um, it didn't talk to me, but it felt like it did everything else. And uh, those things would go around a curve at 45 miles an hour, it handled better than the Porsche 911 Turbo. And so I'm like, I, I tested that out, <laughs> going around curves in that car. Thank God I never had an accident, but I was addicted to stealing girl. It would become an adrenaline rush for me. So I realized, like, this is going to end bad. This foolish path that I'm on is not good. And for a year and a half of that two years, I tried to stop stealing of my own power. I, I couldn't. It'd become an, a very strong addiction. The adrenaline rush is the ultimate adrenaline rush. Driving a car, risking your life, going to the mall. You know, I'm, I'm like stealing Penthouse and Playboy, uh, Punisher, Word Journal, Punisher and Wolverine, and Christian music. I mean, that's what I would steal at the mall. Odd, odd uh, combination of I had things. A very eclectic taste as a 16 year old. Yeah. But like, I, I could not stop stealing. It was the ultimate adrenaline rush, the whole thing. And so, like, I was ready to kill myself because I was just tired of the struggle. You know, I got arrested once. My mom said, if you steal my car again and I catch you, I'm going to press charges because you're almost a legal adult. You can straight up go to prison for years for Grand Theft Auto. Mm -hmm. She's like, this is no game. And for three months, I stopped. And I eventually, like, gave in to the the, – I was jonesing for an adrenaline rush. So I went and did it one day, and I got arrested by a state trooper. And uh, the day before I was going to kill myself, I decided – 
if Christ has any real power, he's not just some great religious teacher like Buddha and Krishna and these other people throughout history, um, then maybe he can help me stop stealing. And if he can't, I can always kill myself later. Because mm-hmm. all the other beliefs I notice, like it's a lot about like your works and what you do. The idea of Christianity that's unique is like just the it's like the ultimate surrender experience. Experiment. Like, can you surrender something to this higher power and like just totally let go? And that aspect of it was why I decided, let me see if Jesus has any real power besides just what he did, you know, it's recorded in the historical books. Mm-hmm. But going back to Solomon, Jesus said a quick quote that said, one greater than Solomon is here. He said this to the Pharisees, the religious teachers of that time. And like Solomon's teachings are the ultimate um, recorded instructions from a dude with the ultimate success. So I'm like, if I'm going to study success and I want to be successful in business and be a good father and a, and a, and a good husband and a great friend, like I want to study, the, I want to get the best how-to course possible. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're smart, who cares what religion you are? I don't care if you're an atheist. You should read the book of Proverbs because it literally tells you how to have a successful life in every area, in your love life, in your work, in your relationships. I mean, it's like, it's the ultimate instruction manual from a guy who was worth $4 trillion in today's money. That's why the book's called Beyond Billions. What wisdom is there beyond what you can learn from a modern-day billionaire? It's what you can learn from a trillionaire. Right. And, you know, any any personal development, the best in the business, Tony Robbins, whatever, they all say, don't. we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Look, at the, look at your mentors. That's why I'm a big fan of mentors. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Somebody did what we want to do, right. at least sort of, and if we look to them— we can at least get on that path. And we might make our own personal tweaks along mm-hmm. the way. But if foundationally you have that, you know, if you want to be a shoelace maker, look up shoelace companies, see how they do it. See right. what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. Make your adjustments. And with Solomon, that's what you did. Look for that mentor. And, and most people maybe think that's unattainable. I can't even start there. So what would you say, who is this book for? I would say it's it, for anyone who realizes there's an area of their life that they could be doing better in. Maybe they're in a place like I was at 16 where they're like they know that there's a better future for them, but they're not sure how to bridge the gap between this vision they have of where they'd like to be and where they are. And I'm like, okay, I can see I'm here. If they're having accurate thinking about where they are, they have a vision of where they want to go. But they just don't know how do I fill in the gaps. You know, the book points you to... Um, best practices for how to apply wisdom in your life. And the book is focused a lot on um, two areas of, uh, of business and economic development and family. Those are the two areas of wisdom that the book talks about the most. But the principles I talk about in family, like how to think multi-generationally about your legacy, it's going to benefit you in every other relationship. It won't just benefit you and your family alone. So I would say that's, that's who the book is for. If someone's looking for a book just about okay, I'm, a, I'm an atheist, but I want to learn how, what this trillionaire guy teaches. If, uh, if the areas of business and family aren't the areas that you really want to work on the most right now, there's another great book called um, The Richest Man Who Ever Lived, written by a guy named Stephen K. Scott. And his book is more general and covers about eight or nine areas of life that Solomon's teachings and how to apply them. And my book is very focused on business and family. And if there's one... I don't even know if you can do this because this isn't on the outline. But if there is one takeaway, is there any just one thing that could impact one of our viewers from this book? Is there one thing or is it all encompassing? Is there one principle, one 
one factoid that might make somebody go, you know what? I need that book in my life. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything like that from this book? Because I've read it, – it's a great book, and I think it builds on itself. I couldn't pick one thing from this book because it's sort of all-encompassing. But mm-hmm. as the author, maybe you have that, that one, oh, yeah, that, that, that could stoke some interest. I think from the last two and a half years, it's been interesting that uh, there have been more people who have been depressed and not having hope for the future than ever recorded. Like it was an average of about five to six percent of the population at any one time would be dealing with depression pre-COVID. Since COVID, um, all the policies that went with it. So it was like, it was like in um, late 2020, early 21, it was running around 40 percent. Almost half of the world's population was like, I just don't have much hope for the future. Like, you know, life sucks right now. That's how a lot of almost half the population was feeling. And so I would say the biggest takeaway is if you think multi-generationally about what mark do I want to make, there's two teachings of Solomon um, that I think are really timely to apply right now. One is, to your point, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, um, he wrote three books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is like literally penthouse letters, but instead of stories about sleeping with somebody else that's not your spouse, it's about a husband and wife, how much they love just enjoying each other. Physically, it's very, very graphic. Um, but you can you can read it. It's not like, you know, rated R. It's more like, you know, rated us for 16-year-old uh, ears and up, mm-hmm. um, eyes and up. But uh, in Ecclesiastes, he said there's nothing new under the sun. Like everything sort of shows up in a different way with new packaging, but wisdom is wisdom. Like principles don't change. But another cool thing is um, we, uh, there's a phrase called witty inventions, you know, Solomon, one of his other teachings is um, there's so many different verses. I'm deciding which one to, to quote here. Um, basically, you know, that we um, it's a it's to the glory of God to conceal matters, but it's to the glory of kings to search out matters. So search. You don't have to be royalty. Like part of why I wear purple. I got my, my I, I wear my purple rain favorite Prince album uh, shirt today. Um, is because uh, my new my new memoir is called Reject to Royal. Uh, subtitles: The Journey of Transformation. It was my journey of transformation of how I saw myself. And so you don't need to be from royalty. You don't need to know a royal. You know, there's that famous song by Lord, right? We'll never be royals. Mm-hmm. We all are made in the image of God, and how that shows up in everyone's life is our words create a reality. We are always speaking things to ourselves. And then the things that we're thinking about the most often, our dominant thoughts, will show up in our actions and what we say to other people. And so the idea from the Bible is that God spoke all of creation into existence. And so realizing that we have the ability to create and we are always creating, I think the biggest takeaway from the book is be really intentional about seeking wisdom and being really intentional about what you're creating. Because we are creating a lasting legacy, whether we're intentional about it or not. So knowing that we are, why not be intentional? Don't let your life just be controlled by other people randomly. And a lot of people who didn't have like clear intention like we do about seeking wisdom and how can I create with my strengths and create a better life for myself and people around me. Um, I think the last two and a half years have given people an opportunity to realize maybe I should take more agency 
more control over my life. I'd say that's the biggest takeaway from the book. Well, and you remind me, um, many of the uh, doctors and different educated folks that I've studied, you know, they all say about the same thing, that most adults by the age of 35 uh, are running their lives on autopilot 85% of the time. 85% of the time they're doing the same things they did yesterday and they're wondering why nothing changes. And that goes to that intentionality. You know, being intentional with your daily habits, being intentional with your thoughts, paying Mm -hmm. attention to how you think about yourself and the world around you. Because perception, not only from the world around you, but internally, makes a huge difference, a huge difference in how you operate, how how the folks around you operate. And and think about that. Think about that. 85% of your day is on autopilot from the day before. So if you have roughly 60,000 thoughts that day, the majority of those are the same as yesterday. And so to change that intention or actually pay attention and focus on intention, put a little effort in. Mm -hmm. Put a little bit of effort in. When you want to make change, you might have to change... The, the little daily habits that you do every day, how you get out of bed, how you uh, grab your coffee, how you uh, take a shower, all that. And in, in my book, I touch on that, you know, that to make small little shifts can have monumental impact. Right. And, and that's a, a little bit like what you were saying, you know, that um, being intentional with what you do instead of just going through the motions is, is a huge takeaway. Make sure to write that down. Write it down. I hope you got the uh, your pen and paper because there's always little nuggets of wisdom on the drop-in that can oftentimes make a huge difference in your day-to-day life. Um, you know, uh, again, Solomon, richest man ever, mm-hmm. ever, trillions, trillions. But you talk about, you know, building that legacy, building generational wealth. And I don't think most think on that level. Mm. They're thinking on how I can pay my bills or how I can maybe have a five-figure bank account, but not how can I set this up for my kids, for my kids' kids, for, for, you know, that kind of a thing. Was that always in the back end uh, as as you were evolving as a person? Or, or when did the, the building generational wealth come into play? That came into wealth growth about um, five, six years ago, thinking multi, multi-generationally. Because it started off, you know, my son's nine months old. I'm like, I'm breaking this pattern of violence. So I was really focused, I would say, for the next 10 years on just myself and upgrading my patterns with my wife and my kids. But then as I was um, studying wealthy families and um, both modern-day millionaires and billionaires, mostly modern-day billionaires and King Solomon, I just started to notice my awareness grew. You know, as we we keep seeking more wisdom, we'll get new insights. That's the beauty of life should never be boring if you're seeking wisdom. Right. Like you get new ahas every couple of weeks or sometimes like last summer, literally for a month, every day I was getting all these creative business ideas. While I was reading the Bible and meditating out in the woods, I got five deer that live in my backyard. So it's like I was in nature. I was able to still my body and just like, you know, be quiet and be still. It's like the still, the more still you are in your internal being, the more you're able to receive. Um, and so I would never have tried to do the meditation, like think nothing, that kind of meditation. Mm-hmm. Some people do really good with that. Um, for the way I'm wired, I find if I just still my body physically doing things like Wim Hof breathing and other, Joe Dispenza, we've talked about other modalities of breathing. Mm-hmm. My intention is always 
God revealed me when he revealed to me. And then I'm like, oh, wow, I just get downloads and downloads. So I met a billionaire, and he gave me some mentoring six years ago. And he said, Japanese people plan 100 years in the future. Wow. And Jewish people think multi-generally back about family legacies. So I'm like, let me just model Japanese people. And this billionaire guy said, stretch yourself to think three to five generations. That means your grandkids' grandkids. Well, it really makes your life super intentional. I hear the music in my ear. So, uh, you know, you're going to have to tune into segment three to listen to more of, I'm going to call you brilliant, uh, my brilliant guest, David Newby, because, um, you know, this kind of knowledge isn't everywhere. And what we're doing is trying to poke the bear to get you to do more research and more. Read this book. Read Beyond Billions and all that kind of stuff. So with that, I want to say thank you all for tuning in. And uh, that's David Newby. I am Gerald Valley, and it's an honor to bring you the drop-in.